Hey, what's up, everybody? This is The Grady Show on Dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I am your host, Quentin, a.k.a. Q-Dog, a.k.a. the Pop-Tart King of the South. What's up, everybody? It's been like three weeks since I've uploaded a podcast because this is May 8th. And so I'm excited to be behind the mic. It's a really good time. I don't I it's been a, a long time I've missed it. Like I've mostly I guess I've been busy with work like, you know, like my job job. I'm a copywriter for like an audio video company, so like that's been keeping me busy, which is just so stupid. <laughs> like I yeah, I just need to win the lottery or something or you know, maybe get hit by a car and do a JG Wentworth type settlement. <laughs> Slip and fall in the store so I don't have to work. Um just strike it rich somehow. Maybe like oil like on the Beverly Hillbillies would be really cool. But no, I've spent really like springs here. Right. I'm in Charlotte, so it feels really good. And I've mostly just been hanging out with my daughter in the evenings and sort of just, you know, taking some time off. Like this whole like baseball nostalgia thing just really makes me want to hang out with my wife and my daughter. And my daughter's 15 months old now and she loves to run around the baseball fields with the baseball in her hand. There are about five baseball fields within about a two minute walk from my house. And so my wife, my daughter, and I will just go there, and she'll just run around with a baseball in her hand. She'll throw it. She'll yell. She's running now like full-on sprints, and she has a lot to say, my daughter does. She's so full of shit, (laughs) and she's so brave, too. She has more guts than brains at this point, so it's a little nerve-wracking because it's, you know, my first child. But that's sort of, you know, what we've been doing in the evenings. You know, the weather's been perfect, and I know it won't last long. Because when you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, your balls just stick to your thighs as soon as June gets here. (laughs) And they don't relinquish their grip till December. So it's like, shit, man, we really got to enjoy this while we have it. But, you know, that's really what this whole, as I've gotten older, you know, baseball really gives me this nostalgic feeling. And it's made me cherish, you know, what I have right now, you know, having this young daughter and it's it's really fun to hang out with her and to see all like the moments that she has like when something clicks or when she does something really funny <laughs> like the other day she used me as leverage to take a shit <laughs> like I was sitting on the ground and she walks up to me and puts both of her hands on my thigh gets on her tiptoes and grunts and I looked at her and said I know what you're doing you don't have any shame what are you doing right now and you know take it from me like I pee in the front yard still so it just must run deep in the veins (laughs) but anyway this episode that you're about to listen to is the first ever episode with a listener of the podcast that I had as a guest Um, if you want to be a guest on the podcast um, I used to have people direct message me on Instagram but I can't find those messages because there's just a lot that come through so if you want to be a guest on the podcast, you can just email me at greatestshowondirt at gmail.com and that will I'll get that because I don't get a lot of emails. But this episode I'm just really excited about. So Eric Messina, he listens to the podcast, he follows on Instagram, and he was one of the first people to reach out and say he wanted to be on the podcast. So we talked for about an hour and 50 minutes about beer, baseball, family, and it was just a really good time. You know, it's it's he, it, he it's like you know he, I was born in 83 and he said he was born in 76 right so it's sort of like that same age range a little bit you know with like the 80s 90s nostalgia and it was just a really good time to talk about what baseball meant to us how it relates to family and it's one of the things that's got me so excited about the Instagram and the podcast is this community's just sort of been created 
seemingly on accident. You know, I didn't do it. I have no skills in life whatsoever besides being able to, um, you know, recite numbers on the back of baseball cards. Other than that, I can really do nothing in life. <laughs> and but this community that's been created on Instagram and the podcast just by people that love baseball, it it's it makes me feel so good and it's so fun and it's truly an honor to be a part of. I feel like I've met so many friends and I'll have conversations with people, you know, in the comments on Instagram or this conversation I had with Eric. Then I've got a couple more in the pipeline, you know, a couple more listeners that have emailed me as well that want to be on there. It's like just talking to a buddy that I grew up with. And it was really fun because I think those are the fun things about nostalgia. It's remembering the good times, you know, enjoying them. And I feel like, you know, nostalgia gives us roots as human beings. And it it helps us to remember what really counts in life. And, you know, that's why you're getting a podcast at this point once every three weeks is because, you know, I'm just sort of just hanging out with my family. You know, I've also joined an adult softball league. <laughs> I dove hard into second base uh, last night. My arm was pouring with blood. I wiped it all over my jersey, so I felt super hardcore. So, yeah, I just try to do a lot of baseball stuff. But I think coming from now, I should be able to get a pop. My goal is to get a podcast episode up once a week. So I'll do my best to do that. And otherwise, this is me and Eric Messina, so I'll get into the podcast. But before I do, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Hood Hat. Their motto is never leave it behind. These are the most supremely nostalgic hats, 100% merino wool. They feel soft. They're just like the wool fitted hat you got for the first time when you were a kid and they've got the old school script logo on it like the sports specialties hats right like I've got one now Max the dude that runs the company dude he's a phenomenal dude just got married he's got a baby on the way he's one of us right and he I think he was born in 77 or 78 or something like that he's he's just a really good guy you know I never wanted to take a sponsor on the podcast but Dude, Max is a great dude. I've, I've said that over and over again. But anyway, check out his hats. You can go to hoodhat.com and get some goods. But he sent me a Three Rivers hat for where the Pittsburgh Pirates used to play, and it's black with yellow fonts on it. Dude, it's a badass hat, man. These are slick hats. So check them out, Hood Hat USA. Never leave it behind. They're just really fun, cool nostalgia hats. You can put one of these on, and it takes you down memory lane in a heartbeat. So here we go. Here is Eric on the podcast. Enjoy it, and let's get to the show. Oh, shoot, dude. I'll have to mail you some of the tall boy hams. This is a 16 ounces of freedom, man. It's a pretty good deal, dude. So there's a place by me, man. I get I get my hams at the food line by my house, and they're uh-huh. right next to the 40-ounce King Cobras. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, hey, God. dude, I know. I guess that's the category that food line puts their hams in, which, I mean, I think hams is a pretty badass drink. but they, they, What they, what they consider, like, rot gut beer, and it's like a Nic- <laughs> Nicola, Nicola can. Rock gut, dude. That's one of my favorite words ever. I guess that's what they think, man. Listen, I tried to drink. I, one time, dude, when I was like 18 or 19, I bought two 40-ounce King Cobras because I thought I was going to be hardcore, but I also was like a uh-huh. poor kid. Dude, I don't uh-huh. think I finished the first one. Like, I couldn't do it without it just getting warm because it was so disgusting. And I was like, I'm the, not drinking this stupid beer. The, the worst beer I've ever drank when I was in my college days at Penn State was this beer called Saranac. Really? It was like, yes, Saranac. No way. I, I drank it, and it's just like it, we were watching this one group called the Giants of Science, and then 
Yeah. You know, I, I, we were we were drinking instead of drinking icy light, we were drinking Saranac. And it was like, oh my god, and it's like it it was just like like worse than scraping it with a barrel. The, <laughs> uh, the, Dude, that's so, the, next, the next the next day I woke up and I just like Ruh. all of, like, like dude because like, like, I feel like a that? beer's got to be pretty bad for that because I like I I pride myself in drinking like cheap beer because growing mm-hmm. up like my grand I'd always go to my grandpa's to watch Cubs games and he he would always drink Keystone Light right. So the uh-huh. first time me and my buddy Josh ever got some beer. So my best friend growing up, his name was Josh, and he had a Camaro, like an 82 Camaro or whatever. I think it was 82 uh-huh. or 83. He got it from his mom as like a hand-me-down. So we got like – we got some older kid to get us some – I think it was like a 24-pack of Keystone Light. And we're just cruising around town drinking it because that was the beer of choice because the only beer I really knew was Keystone Light. And I was like, well, hell, my grandpa drinks Keystone Light. Let me Keystone get that. Light, Keystone Light's not bad. It gets a bad rap, but Keystone Light is not bad. Dude, like, I, no, man, it's smooth, dude. I bought a 24-pack. So Natty Light just redid some of their cans through the Carolinas, and it has, like, the old mm-hmm. branding on it. So I was like, oh, I got to buy some of that, man. And it's like that with Natty Light because that's one of the smoothest, cheap beers that I think you can get. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so good, dude. So right now, like, in my fridge, I've got, like, two cases of Natty Light. I've got some hams. Because they sell it, like, in the six-pack Tall Boys next to the King Cobra. I've got a few old styles left that I got when I went back home to Illinois. And then I got some Stag uh-huh. back in Illinois, too. I love Stag, dude. It's, like, sort of like Natty Light. I mean, it's a good, smooth beer, but I don't uh-huh. know. It's pretty good. I mean, it, I, I mean, for me, a good beer is if it, it doesn't leave an aftertaste in your mouth. And, you know, like, whenever I first, whenever you first entered, when you were on your last podcast about hams, I was like, Ooh. one of the local grocery stores has sold beer and wine. I'm looking, I'm like, like, oh my god, there it is, it's hams. So I just grabbed up a twelve ounce, twelve like twelve pack, twelve ounce. So it was six ninety nine. Grabbed it yeah. up, you know, and I, my wife wanted her fruity seagram, so I just shoved that all in the in the fridge. Yeah. And my wife's like, why? My wife's like, I need to get seagrams. I had a rough day, and she's like, look at, and she's like, look, you're like, what did you get? He's like, you got beer. She goes, what, what's hams? What's hams? hams? Dude, hams hey. is a classic. Classic. Mm-hmm. Here, my, my daughter wanted to say something. Oh, this is Maddie, right? Yes. Hey, hey Maddie, hey. what's up? How are you? Okay, one thing about beer is, is that it's gross. It Never is. It's it. all disgusting. I should drink less of it. I'm going to take your advice. Probably. Never drink beer. <laughs> I drink me like me one, me, me like a beer, maybe like twice a week if i work one of these late night shifts and you know you gotta you gotta cool down for the night i just crack up the hams and that's it you know that's about what i am as much game as i talk on the podcast i'm good for about one or two because I'm, I'm 37 right now and if i drink uh-huh. like any more than like two or three beers I'm going to feel it the next day. Like, I'll wake up completely dehydrated. I'll get a headache. It's like yeah. if, if I get to that two to three range and stop, I'll just get a headache and feel like garbage. So it's almost like if I cross the streams like the mm-hmm. Ghostbusters into that three beer range, I got to go nine or ten and just kiss my night goodbye. Yeah. It's bad news. But there's a place that's funny you mentioned Seagram's. There's a bar in Nashville, Tennessee called Santa's Pub, and it's in a double-wide trailer, 
and they sell two drinks, cash only. You can only get two drinks. They've got PBR for the dudes, and then they've got like some fruity Seagrams for the girls, and that's all you'll get. It's like two bucks a pop, no matter what you want. You and it better be cash. No credit, huh? No, no credit, not there, because you know it's got to be all under the table. If you're running a, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a bar called Santa's Pub, that's you know, in a double wide, it's got like a nice like screened in porch with like plastic over it, so it's really cool. Uh-huh. But that's sort of like where I'm from, man, the like, southern part of Illinois. Like I grew up in a trailer, you know, so like it's uh-huh. like when I go there, like it's back home, you know. And this is one of the things I sort of want to talk to you about, man. So, okay, for everyone that doesn't know, right, I've been recording for the last five minutes, Eric, by the way. This is Eric, Eric Messina. That's your last name, right? Yeah. Listen, and if you've listened to the podcast over the past few weeks, I've said that I want to get listeners onto the podcast because I love to hear other people's baseball stories. Now, Eric, you're the first one, man. You are the the Neil Armstrong of guests who are listeners to the podcast. Yes. I'm the prototype. You are, man. You're sort of, uh, you're, you're the one, man. You're the first one. You're like the Skynet, you know, on Terminator where they've got the arm with the chip in it. That's you, man. Uh-huh. So, uh, <laughs> well, first of all, so thanks for being on the podcast, man. Oh, no The pleasure. Dude, it means a lot, dude. Like, so many people have started listening to the podcast and, you know, reading along on Instagram. And it's like this community, I feel like, has sort of just, like, accidentally happened. And it's not because of me. Because I feel like I don't really have that great of baseball stories. Like, I've got some, I guess, you know, that are pretty meaningful that have sort of amplified with, you know, being married and having a child. But where it excites me so much and just makes me so happy is to have people like you that, you know, comment and listen to the podcast and sort of tell your own baseball stories. You know, where you're talking about, like, you know, disgusting beers and stuff like that. Like, a lot, like for me, beer sort of got its start with me like in baseball you know because my grandpa would always drink keystone light so a lot of times when i watch a cubs game or really whatever game's on like i'll sort of just have that one or two beers a week because it it feels good you know like i'm i'm sort of using like that beer and the tv as a time machine right so i guess yeah and so my goal to having you on this podcast is sort of to hear your baseball story right and you've got maddie now how old's your daughter my daughter's 10, nice. 10 and a half. Okay, that's what's up, man. And do you guys watch baseball together, open up cards, anything like that? We watch, we watch the baseball on TV. We, um, we, live, in Pitts, we live in the Pittsburgh area, yeah. so it's primarily Buckos. Nice. And um, we get it on that one AT&T Sportsnet. Yeah. We get to watch whatever – you know, if I have a, like a night off and watch when I'm six, seven oh five games, we get to watch it. We get a, put a couple hot dogs in a microwave with some uh, yeah. baked beans and just watch the game. Yes, that sounds great. And I really, I can hear her back there. She's the cutest thing ever. My daughter is just hit the fifteen month mark, and me and my daughter like. I'll drag her in front of the TV. I let her rip open a pack of score, or I think it was 88 tops when she was like seven or eight months old and she opened them up and tried to eat them. And uh-huh. here's, here's what I realized, man. It's so, I think, and I wonder, tell me if it's like this with you, but I would say over the past 15 months, I've sort of gotten closer to baseball and closer to my roots. You know, how baseball sort of shaped like my life 
And, you know, like I've even become closer to my parents, I feel like in it, you know, having a child makes me think of being a kid myself and what my parents did for me. And, you know, even though my daughter's only 15 months old and your daughter's 10 years old and you, know, you guys might not be doing a ton of baseball stuff together, but I realize having my daughter and her like being 15 months old and doesn't really do anything with baseball it's almost like baseball has sort of helped me to become a better parent and to have more fun with my child. And it doesn't have uh -huh. anything to do with baseball because we don't do any baseball stuff together. Because to me, you know, like having a child, like I think about being a kid and my dad teaching me the game and my mom, like taking me to go buy like my stirrups for little league and stuff like that. So do you, so in the 10 years that you've had Maddie, have you found yourself, like becoming more nostalgic with baseball or thinking about growing up with baseball and like, has that made you become a better dad? Do you think? Well, let's, let's, from my perspective, when turning back the way, turn back the clock about say 11 years ago and we found out, we went to the doctors and we found out we were having a girl and I'm just, you know, we went to the doctors, we found we were having a girl. So I'm just like, you know, we went, we went back to the house. I'm just like sitting here, like bawling my eyes out. And my wife comes to me and goes, Eric, what's wrong? Why are you crying? I says, we're having a girl. I was like, I, I don't know how I'm going I'm to relate to this girl. He's like, you know, she's only like dolls and, you know, dressed yeah. up in, you know, little tea parties. And I'm like, you know, I'm like all into like, you know, baseball and, you know, watching Superman on TV. Like, how am I going to, how am I, how am I going to, uh, you know, relate to her? And more she's grown up, I, she, I feel like that she is sort of grown attached, I guess, to my, to the things that I grew up with. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, we, you know, I, a couple of months ago, I cracked open my old baseball cards and, you know, Maddie and I were just looking at the old baseball cards and just, Thinking back, you know, like when I was, you know, this is what I did whenever I was your age. I used to go down, me and my friends used to go down to the, the local quickie mark, you know, get like a Turner's tea, which is like a big, big thing in Pittsburgh area. Nice. And, and then we would have, right next door was like the sports card shop. It was called Cal's Sporting Goods or Cal's, Cal's Sports Shop. And basically it was baseball and football. And that's where I got a lot of my cards down there. You know, the, I think the first pack I ever got as a kid was, I think, was the 88 Tops. That's a good set. Yeah. Yeah. And I started getting, I started getting into, the, into the team ones. Like, I, I have a, the whole set of a 91 Fleer Pittsburgh Pirates. All your cards are in show. And, you know, for me, base, for me baseball, like I said, it's, it's sort of like a time machine for like when things were less complicated in your life, you know, it, 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 like I say, having, having a child changes your life. And when, like when you're young, you, you think you're indestructible, but when you have a kid now, it just seems like you have, from my point of view, to think of what you leave behind for your kids. Yeah. And I think the one big thing in life that I hope that lasts long well before I'm 
long well after I'm in the grave is baseball. Baseball's been around for 150 years, and I hope it stays for another two centuries. Yeah, one of the things you said that stood out to me was when you talk about, like, a simpler life and simpler times. And Mm -hmm. we live in such a world that's such chaos, right? Like, when – like, we have our phones with us, and oftentimes we get email on our phone and news on our phone, and we're getting more information than ever. And I feel like if I get roped into that, like, my anxiety gets completely ramped up, and then, like, life gets hectic, right? But – you know, when I when I look at baseball as sort of this starting point in my life, and it, it like you said, time machine, right? It sort of takes me back to why I remember, like, the things, like, my mom and my dad did for me growing up. And it does help to simplify that stuff because at the end of the day, like, when you have a kid, you know, like, me having a kid, I feel like, and it probably got to be the same with you, it's the first time in my life I felt like something was more important than me, you know? Like, yeah. When you're a human being, you care about yourself most. But then when you get this little human being that, you know, relies on you, it's like I care about her more than myself and more than anything. And it feels Mm -hmm. good, you know, like I've used baseball as motivation to like remember like how my parents sacrificed when I was a kid. And I want to do that for my daughter, you know, like if she's, you know crying at night and she's sick or something like that like i'll sleep on the floor next to her crib or i'll hold her until my back cramps and gets hurt and like i enjoy that and life really is that simple you know like when you break down all the bs of just like the hustle and bustle of work you know it's like it sort of helped me to remember that hey life is simple and it doesn't have to get hectic and when saturday comes around or you know tuesday whatever day we're off work it's like I'm just going to go outside with my kid and just watch her run mm-hmm. around the field or just sit and open up these cardboard, you know, baseball cards and not be in front of a screen or in front of a TV, you know, and it really helps to simplify that stuff that really matters most. And I never expected that to happen, you know, having a child. And what you said with a daughter, it's like, oh, my gosh, like I'm having a girl. Like, what do I do with that? You know, like yeah. I know what I like as, you know, a dude and I don't know anything about Barbies or dollhouses, right? Like maybe I could put yeah. them together for, but that's it. So it can be a little intimidating. But at the end of the day, it's like I I feel baseball exposes like those core values of just like, you know, being a parent and giving it your all and being present and just remembering to have fun like we did when we were kids, right? Like you, one of the things I also like that you said, and I'll stop talking in a second, was that when we were younger, right, we felt like we were invincible. And I rem- and I don't know why I remember this, but when I was like 10 or 11, my buddy Sean, his dad said that something along the lines of life goes by fast and before you know it, you're going to be old. And I remember thinking, you're so full of crap, man. You don't know anything. Like, I'm going to be a kid forever. And that's not true. Life goes Mm -hmm. by so fast. And baseball has sort of, like, been a way to, I guess, sort of preserve that and conserve it and hold on to it. And it's not like I want to live in the past, but I feel like by looking at the past, we can sort of, like, enhance our future and, it, and, you know, enhance our present and just remember what's in front of us, you know, because the times we're in now are going to be the mm-hmm. good times 20 years from now. 
And you're going to look back and be like, dude, Maddie was just 10 years old and now she's going to college, you know, and my daughter, her name's Emmy. Like she was uh-huh. born yesterday, it seems like. And now she's 15 months old and she says milk all the time. And that's like the only word she knows. I bet, I bet she, she's scooting her all around the house trying to keep up with her. It's, oh, my gosh. She's running around and everything. It's so uh-huh. wild. It's unbelievable. Like when I when, when May was that age. You know, you had to change her and everything. I would change her, you know, clean her up. And before I could get a new diaper on her, she was up and going, <laughs> back and forth through the house, yeah. you know, stark. I'm like, like, Maddie, get over here. I put an underwear on. I got to put some, put some new diaper on you. <laughs> and she's just like this. She's like screwing around like a little mogwai. Dude, that's it. I had to catch my breath just to catch up to her. That's exactly it. Listen, so we um... – my wife and myself and my daughter went out and we were playing in the field and she got a little dirty. So when we got back, we just gave her like a quick rinse off because we started. So my daughter has been like not sleeping for two weeks straight. Mm-hmm. So just like a superstitious baseball person, one night I didn't give her a bath and I gave her a bath the next morning and she slept perfect. So now we're giving her a bath every morning instead of at night and she's been sleeping good, right? So uh-huh. my wife's in the other room and she is like changing my daughter's diaper and I'm in the bathroom and I'm going to pee real quick. And then we're going to put her in the bath. So I kid mm-hmm. you not, I'm peeing, I'm peeing, right? Just stand there peeing. I hear my daughter pitter patter into the bathroom, right? And she did exactly what you said. My wife started to change her diaper and she just ran off, right? So she, I hear mm-hmm. her pitter patter in the bathroom. And while I'm peeing, all of a sudden I hear her peeing on the bathroom floor and I start cracking up. Because, like, all of a sudden, I just hear this, and I'm like, oh, my God, you're peeing with me. It was so funny. And she just took off. That's crazy. That's what what my daughter used to do. Before I even get a diaper on her, she was like, like, Maddie, what are you doing? And she just, like, squats right on the carpet. Like, no. No. Now, let me ask you this, man. So, I... You know, like my grandpa and my dad were sort of pretty big influences early on with baseball. Like I would always, my grandpa mm-hmm. lived across the street going up. So I'd always go to his house in the summertime and it was like WGN and TBS, right? So we'd always catch the TBS day game, or excuse me, the WGN day game. I'd go to his house to watch it. He's drinking a Keystone Light. I got my Bargs root beer. And then after supper, you know, it's when the TBS games are played. So I wanted to ask you, what early baseball influences did you have? Like friends, families, uncles, dads, any big influences when you were younger? I would say it would be my grandfather. We would – my grandfather lived like, – it was like a little outskirt of Pittsburgh. It was called a little part of Pittsburgh called Crafton. Okay. And, and every weekend we would go to – my grandparents' house in Crafton, and then the first thing we walk in, you know, the first thing I would see is he's, if it's like around one o'clock in the afternoon, here he is with a Pirate Buckos game on, Willie Stargell and Dave Parker and the whole crew. That's that's my first, that's like my first real memory of baseball was, yeah. I was born in 76. Okay. And my first, my first real memory of baseball is going Going to Pittsburgh, visiting my grandparents, getting off the foot, you know, driving off the over the Fort Pitt Bridge, and you see you see you know the old Three River Stadium, and it just had a weird you know had a had a weird 
not weird isn't bad, but it had a very interesting feel to looking at Three River Stadium during that time because they, they was set like, now at like three. That was 1979. That was the, the We Are Family oh, time yeah. today. You know, and he'd have he'd have the the baseball game on. I think it was on channel KDKA was always on. At oh, 1 that's awesome. And you know, my first image of a of a pirate was Willie Stargell, with with the with the with the with the black pillbox hat, oh. and his little little the, the stars the little star stickers he had on. Yeah, this are those called Stargell stars? Is that what those are called? I think so. Okay, because I think so too, but I don't know because I didn't. You know, one of the things with you know starting this podcast is. You know, growing up, all I was able to watch were Cubs and Braves. But, like, talking to dudes like you, like, I, I start to learn, like, more about other teams. And I think someone had mentioned that those were called Stargell Stars. I love those old, like, pillbox hats with the stars on them. And Willie Stargell, uh-huh. like, pops. Dude, like, that's such good baseball to grow up on. Like, his 79 season, I don't know. Park Dave Parker won the MVP, I think, in 78. And Stargell, I think – got MVP votes in 79, and he was like 38 years old. That was a heck mm-hmm. of a season he put together. Yeah, he I, I, he. I think he was the only one to actually hit a home run out of the Dodger Stadium, I believe it was. Oh, he's hit. Listen, I think later on, I think Mark McGuire hit one out. But Stargell, I think, is the only guy to hit three out of Dodger Stadium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that guy, low-key... Like, you hear about, like, big, strong home run hitters. Like, you had, like, those big steroid hitter guys like McGuire and Bonds and Sosa and, like, mm-hmm. Glenn Allen Hill, Dave Kingman. Uh-huh. But Willie Stargell, oh, Wilver, does not get enough play for how strong he was. One of the best home run hitters ever. His his totals, like, I don't even think he hit 500 home runs, but he also played in an era where – you know, guys weren't hitting, you know, 50 home runs. There was a span yeah. of, like, I think George Foster hit 52 home runs, like, in 76. And then the next guy to do it was, like, Cecil Fielder, like, in 1992 or something like that, right? So power numbers were dwindled. And I've heard people tell me that they think some of Willie Stargell's seasons are some of the most impressive home run hitting seasons ever, even though I don't think he ever hit 50 home runs. Because if you factor in, like, the pitching and the ballpark settings and things like that, you know, his 40-some-odd home runs, you know, might be more impressive than, like, Roger Maris's 61 based on the air. Like, he was just an absolute beast with the bat. Yeah, he... he he like for him, he was like the face of the pirates. Oh yeah, probably him and Roberto Clemente like have to be the two most popular pirates yes. ever. Definitely. Let me ask you: I mean, Did you I ever was, did you ever go to Three Rivers? Yes, I, the first time I ever went to Three Rivers, I was six years old. Nice. And it was on a Saturday, uh-huh. and it was right. And I went to I, I went to a Catholic church, and on Saturday it was always it was, CCE classes we had to take every Saturday, mm-hmm. and right after right after one of those classes we had to take was my dad and I, and one of his friends had this blue 
old school blue vans, like with with the carpet inside and a little oh. bar table inside. Wait, and like, like, what about, like one of the big like conversion vans? Yes. Dude, my buddy Josh, his grandparents had one of those growing up. It was like being in a house, but on the road. Like it had curtains over the windows. Yeah. And we all went in. And my dad's like, are we going home in this? Like, yeah, we're going out. We're, you know, we're going yeah. for a little trip. And I says, okay. You know, it was me and my dad, you know, a few other guys I knew. And once we got out, we're right in we're at Three River Stadium. We got tickets to the Pirates and Dodgers. This had to, this was 1982. Heck yeah, okay. I'm not exactly sure if Stargell was playing or not. Well, he might but... have actually. So two things I have to fix. One, in 1979, he did win the MVP, which was huge. Okay. His age 39 season, he won it. Now in 1982, he played in 74 games, so he could have been. Yeah, playing still. I don't know, you know, if he like played the beginning and retired or what, dude. But what was that experience like? So you went with your dad. Now, did you go with yeah. your grandpa too? No, it was just my dad, me, my dad, a few of my friends, uh-huh. and one of my dad's friends. We all got like so. We got all into got all into this pimp van. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's, 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 that's all I can describe it with a with a blue pimp van with with the carpet. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just like, I'm just like looking at this stadium and when I'm inside, I'm just looking at how huge it is. Mm-hmm. You know, me being a six-year-old kid, you know, everything's like, everything was like monstrous to me. And I'm just looking around, looking at the scoreboards, you know, looking at the field, you know, you saw some of the players going around the track, you know, doing their laps. Dude, I loved it. That, like, the first baseball field experience, like, just looking at, like, that bright green grass is just unbelievable in the big old scoreboard. Listen, so I didn't go – growing up a Cubs fan, Chicago was still, like, six hours north, and I never went to Wrigley Field until I was about 19 years old. We always went to Bush Stadium because you could get to St. Louis in about two hours, so I'm from the southern part of Illinois. So if you hightailed it to St. Louis, you could really get there in about an hour and 40 minutes if you wanted to. And so I would went to Bush, old Bush growing up, like still when it was the concrete mm-hmm. donut, like three rivers, right? Which I love uh-huh. those stadiums. Like when you said earlier about the stadium looked a certain way, I'm like, dude, like those concrete donuts, those multi-purpose stadiums. I mean, Three Rivers was huge because you had the Pirates and the Steelers. Like you're talking yeah. Willie Starchell and Terry Bradshaw. That to me is unbelievable to have like, like if I could build a time machine, I wouldn't, I would not go to like see any like historical figures. Like I don't want to go talk to Jesus or Einstein or whoever. Like I want to go to Three Rivers. <laughs> I want to go to Tiger Stadium, and you know that's what I would want to do. Like I always have, like have a list in my head of stadiums that I wish I could have went to that I didn't. And I think number one on my list might be to go see like the 1971 Pirates with like Roberto Clemente when they won that World yeah. Series. I think it was in 70 that, that's, or 71. That's, that's the one that's the one player I wish I could have seen Jeez, play man. was Clemente. What a guy. You know, he, 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 he passed away few years before my time but that's the one guy i wish i could i wish i could have seen that game seven 71 world series yeah. clemente steve blast doing his steve blast jump i mean what a guy what- like to me he embodies so much of you know like 
I, er, when this podcast started, I was trying my best to explain the like mm-hmm. parallels between like family and baseball and did a really poor job of it. I think the best way to describe it is Roberto Clemente, right? This is a guy, he died at sea because he was going to deliver pro- like, n- like needs, like food and water to uh, yeah. Puerto Rico because I guess what had happened was he was helping to finance supplies to get there and he and somebody told him that the supplies weren't getting there. So this just infinitely famous baseball player who's wealthy and could obviously paid somebody else to do it gets on an airplane on New Year's Eve to make sure this stuff is getting to his home country and he dies, man. And it's like this dude passed away doing something that he didn't have to do. You know, when you're Roberto Clemente mm-hmm. and when you're a famous baseball player, you could just tell someone else to do it and give them some money. And when I yeah. look at a sacrifice like that, like I think of my dad and, you know, playing catch with me after working 12 hour work days. And that's sort of what baseball means to me a lot is just like the sacrifice that people do. And when you see baseball players that do that, I'm sort of with you on like if there's one baseball player I could have watched that was well before my time. Roberto Clemente would probably be that guy, man. You're talking an absolute freak of an athlete, but so much more than that. You know, just a sweetheart of a human being, and that's what I like. It, it seemed like when he, when he ran the bases, he didn't just run. He 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 kind of flew. Yeah. He kind of glided over the bases. And he, he wasn't, you know, from what I would watch, like on the sports reels and then you know, the documentaries and he wasn't very, he wasn't a cocky person. Mm -mm. He wasn't a very cocky player. He was very humble. And I remember like towards the, you know, towards the end, somebody talked to him about baseball or his career. And he said, he said the the biggest honor he had was playing. I'm I'm just paraphrasing what he said was he said, he says for the, for the fans, you know, he's, he's, did be, he's played baseball for almost 20 years at, at that point. And he felt that for the fans, for the fans to give him that kind of loyalty and that kind of support, the best thing he could do was play the best baseball he could play. That's what he, he said at this interview. And, and it, like I said, it, like, it wasn't just like, you know, he's like, like, like your, your loyalty, my, 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 re- his way of saying that as like a gift to the fans was he's going to play the best baseball he can play for as long as he could. Like that to me is an unbelievable statement. You know, like I could only imagine if I got rich and popular and I was really good at baseball. Like I highly doubt that I would be like that grateful, you know, like at some point a human being's ego kicks in. And for a guy like that to be one of the best baseball players of all time, and at the end of the day, he's like, thank you. You're just like, mm-hmm. that's an unbelievable, unbelievably selfless statement. I mean, I believe if he had not died, I think he, he probably would have played long enough for that 79 Like, Can you imagine Roberto I... Clemente? Can you imagine Clemente wearing the gold jersey with the pillbox hat? Yes, I would love it. Just those bright yellow uniforms. And I agree with you. Listen, in 1972, he was 37 years old. He had a 
phenomenal season. He was not slowing down at all. He was keeping a high on base, high slugging, high batting average. So he could have easily, I mean, you're talking, what, seven more years is what he'd have to play to get there. I think he could have totally yeah. done it. Mm-hmm. He could have, I, I think if you could have, I think he could have made, yeah, he, I would, I would, would have liked to have seen him at least maybe manage the team after yeah. everything. Uh-huh. Like Chuck Tanner, apparently though, Chuck Tanner was a sweetheart of a manager. I didn't know yeah. much about Chuck Tanner until probably like a few months ago, but one of my favorite players that I've sort of grown to love from having the podcast is Dick Allen. Like I really like Dick Allen, you know, um, not only because like I think he was a good dude, but his power was sort of like Willie Stargell's power, like unbelievable, but it doesn't get talked about a lot because, you know, he never hit, you know, 50 home runs and doesn't have 500 home runs and all of this sort of stuff. But I remember then, like, starting to read about Chuck Tanner and him being the Pirates manager and, you know, like the White Sox manager and him just being just an unbelievably optimistic, kind guy. And I know when Dick Allen was about to sign with the Chicago White Sox because he had, like, no, I think Dick Allen got traded to the White Sox from, I think, like the Dodgers or something like that. But he wanted to quit baseball because baseball had sort of given him a raw deal. He was having a really hard time with managers and fans. And apparently Chuck Tanner was a family friend because they were all from Pennsylvania. And uh -huh. Chuck Tanner's family lived pretty close to where Dick Allen's family lived. And so Dick Allen's mom was like, listen, why don't you go play for Chuck? And that was the only thing that kept Dick Allen from just quitting baseball was because Chuck Tanner was such a nice guy. And so Dick Allen was like, oh, I'll go play for him because I do like Chuck Tanner. And it was just his optimism, you know. But, I mean, Roberto Clemente would have obviously been a phenomenal manager. And, you know, if he didn't make it by playing for the 79 Pirates, like he could have been a player manager in 79, yeah. you know, Pete Rose style. Who knows how many hits he would have racked up because he got his 3,000th hit in 72 and he batted 312, you know, so he was still hitting. Yeah. He, I, we were talking about Chuck Tanner, you know. I remember, I remember watching something about Chuck Tanner, how he, 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 he kind of had a bit of a temper. He chewed out. It was one. He had to be one of his players. Yeah, he chewed him. He chewed out this one player really bad. Yeah. About, and then like a few minutes, like a, like a few minutes later, he came, he came back to the day. I'm sorry, I had to chew you out. You know, it was out of line. And he's like, by the way, you better listen to whatever the hell I'm saying. You know, and get back on the field. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's huge, man. Because so many guys have egos, and guys like Clemente and Chuck Tanner. Like, you know, always good guys. And I guess if I imagine Clemente, if he ever made a mistake in his life, which he knows if he ever did, he was probably always quick to apologize because he was such a sweet yeah. guy. Now, so who was so your favorite player growing up then? So the first Pirates game you went to was in 76. Wait, when? no, 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 82. 82. Listen, 82. so who was your favorite player then? Did you have a favorite player? I mean, growing up, I would say my one of my favorite players was probably Andy Van Slyke. Oh, that's a good choice. That's a good one. Andy Van Slyke, Mike Lavalier. Oh, Spanky. 
Bobby and pre-steroid Barry. Dude, those 90s Pirates teams, like, I wish they would have made at least one World Series. Like, yes. that is a – I can't believe they didn't. I mean, Doug Drayback, then, yeah, Bobby yeah. Bo, Barry, Spanky. Like, I mean, those were just loaded teams. Like, I'm sort of in the process of watching the 1990 NLCS with the Reds and the Pirates, uh -huh. and I like the – that Reds team for sure, but man, just some of those Pirates teams. Like, when was Richie Hebner a Pirate? Was he a Pirate in the seventies or the eighties? Do you remember? I think it might be in the seventies. I think so. I, I think he might Maybe have been on that 70s? We Are Family team, possibly. Yeah. But I mean, just so Pirates had just so many good teams, and hopefully, like you know, they can start to build back up again. You know, because heck, even their most recent teams, like in twenty fifteen, when they had to play that wild card game against the Cubs, and the Cubs had Jake Arrieta. Like the Pirates went through so many spells. Oh, they, they had Jake Arrieta. Jake Arrieta triggers me. Dude, I can't I stand bet, him, man, because that team was so loaded. Like in 2014, 2015, like like vintage, like MVP McCutcheon, just unreal, uh -huh. unbelievable. I mean, I was in high school when when the Pirates were like the 90, 91, 92. I was yeah. in high school at the time. <laughs> And I thought that was for me based for me watching the Pirates. And that was this were the magic years. Yes, but ninety two the one the, the one the one series that really broke my heart was ninety two at LCS with the Pirates and the Braves. Was that the throw where Sid Bream scored? The, the, the Sid Bream that has slide. To be the worst. And I, I keep looking at. It. I keep looking at. It. I keep looking at. It. It's like I may be a little bit biased because I can't stand. I can't stand the nineties Braves. I mean, they're like worse than Satan to me. <laughs> and uh, I, I look at him, and I, I just says, I just he Spanky had to have gotten him. He was out. He was out. He was out. Yeah. I, that was a bad call by the ump. Bad call by the ump. Oh, I believe and it, I, man. I would stand by that always, dude. Never, never give up on your team, even though the time's bad. Call gone. by the ump. And, and, and the worst thing you see is you see you see Ted Turner and President Jimmy Carter. You know. Seven year old curmudgeons give themselves a little high five, and it's like curmudgeons. Good use of the word curmudgeon. I like it, man. But yeah, pirates pre steroid Barry, legendary man. He had one season where he hit 30 something homers and 50 steals. Only him and Eric Davis have done that, man. Mm -hmm. And dude, he just always rocked them. Them, dude, he used to warm up in the on deck circle with a sledgehammer, man. Him and Dave Parker, sledgehammer guys. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave Parker, he used to wear the he used to wear the the football helmet. <laughs> Dude, that was so crazy that he wore a football helmet because apparently I guess what he had like a home plate collision and broke uh -huh. his jaw, but he still wanted to play. So it was something like somebody from the team knew somebody and they mm. I guess they like manufactured like a football baseball helmet for him or they something. They kind of like wrecked so your wild. Of, Yeah. It looked like something that came out of that, that movie, Soylent Green, how they were wearing, like, football helmets with the brim on it, and it was it was just weird. That's what it reminded me of. Wait, what movie is that? I've never seen that. It was called Soylent Green with Charlton Heston. Oh, shoot. I might have to put that on my list. Is it a baseball movie? No, it's it's a, it's, a, it's like a sci-fi movie back from the 70s. Nice. And that's what, and that's what it looked like. It looked like, like these, 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 I guess, these paramilitary troopers who were busting up a riot and you saw 
look what it looked like. It looked like the helmet that Dave Parker used to wear with the football helmet with the brim and the yeah. face mask. Dude, Dave Parker, that guy was ahead of his time, man. He had the earring, always wore the Star of David. Dude, he's the coolest guy, the coolest guy. I remember towards the end of his career, they used to, it was they used to call throw batteries at him or something. They used to they what? Used to say, they used to throw batteries at him. Oh, dude, they true. did. Yeah, they did that to him and Dick Allen because they mm-hmm. just, like, Dave Parker got a bad rap because I guess after 78 when he won, like, his MVP, he uh-huh. signed for, like, a million bucks or something or, like, was making, I think, on average, like, a million a year. And then in 1979, which was wild because he still had a really good season and they won the World Series, but like they did, they I guess were mad because they thought he wasn't playing good enough or something like that. Yeah, they used to say Dave Parker, no batteries not included. That's very t- <laughs> so crazy, man. Poor Dave yeah. Parker. Sheesh. Yeah, I, I guess I guess they I guess the Pirates and Dave Parker had a big reconciliation because. He was he was there during the, I think he was there whenever they re, they did the '79. Uh, we are family game I that think, weekend yeah. that weekend series where they were playing where they were wearing the throwback. Mm-hmm. I think him, he was there. Uh, I think Bill Madlock was there. Bill Madlock, oh dude, good player. I think Bill Madlock went to college close to where I'm from. Because he might be from Illinois, I think. No, he's from Memphis, but went to high school in Illinois. Yeah, so he went to college. He went to college, Bill Madlock did, in the town that I was born in. Mm-hmm. Dude, dang good player, man. But, you know, that happened to – that would happen to a lot of guys, like, back in the 70s. Like, that happened to J.R. Richard, I think, like, in 1980, before he had a stroke. He sort of got, like, the Dave Parker, Dick Allen treatment because – he was a high-paid guy. He was making like eight hundred fifty thousand a year, and uh, he was complaining of like fatigue and dead arm. And they just assumed that he was like now that he was getting paid good money that he just wanted a few extra days off. But also like the Astros had just signed Nolan Ryan for a million bucks a year, and then mm-hmm. they thought he was jealous of Nolan Ryan. And then it turns out like later that season after the all-star break, he had a massive stroke and never pitched again, you know, mm-hmm. but it was probably hard no, I, to be I, a player then. Yeah. It was just, it, it would seem like to me, you know, like you back then you had a pulled muscle or something, you just slap on some Bengay, just head on back there. Now is that you have dozen of, you know, you have, you know, you have the team positions, you have, you know, the workout people, you know, trying to get, you know, he got a sprain, he got a pulled hand, we got to get that, pull that, get that hand ready. Back then in the 70s, you know, just, you know, just slap on some Ben Gay and get back on the field. Dude, yeah, if that, man, I, I read, I did a Don Baylor post the other day. Don Baylor, as well as a really good baseball player that I've sort of just discovered how much mm-hmm. of like an, uh, like a hardcore dude Don Baylor was because he would stand so much on top of the plate and he'd get, he he was obviously like held the record for most hit by pitch until Craig Biggio broke it. 
And yeah, that, dude, he, so Don Baylor was basically like, I'm going to stand on top of the plate because, you know, Don Baylor's playing in the 70s and 80s and pitchers still brush you back and they don't even care. And Don Baylor was mm-hmm. like, well, screw you guys. I'm going to get on top of the plate and just let you know if you hit me, I'll just walk to first and I'm not going to rub. Right. Like I'm not going to. He mm-hmm. never he never rubbed when he got hit, except one time Nolan Ryan hit him in the wrist. And that's uh-huh. the only time he rubbed it. Nolan Ryan threw like a hundred right at his wrist. But Don Baylor was such a badass because he would just stand on top of the plate like, hey, this is my plate too. If you've got the guts to hit me, go ahead and do it. And one time, it wasn't Nolan Ryan that hit him, but when Don Baylor was still with the Orioles, he got hit in the wrist and it really busted his wrist up, right? Mm-hmm. And apparently the team trainer froze the injury. Uh-huh. And yeah. it was numb for a whole year, and he kept playing. And I'm like, I don't know how he numbed it for a whole year, but that's what it was, man, just like what you said. It's like, listen, it's let's get you ice. up and get back on the field, you know? Like Sandy uh-huh. Koufax used to rub, like, what was the equivalent of just, like, extremely hot chili powder on his arm, and it would make it go numb, and then he would just keep pitching. <laughs> no, no, I saw that one post you might have done a few months ago was because you were talking about Nolan Ryan. The old Ryan seemed like he was the kind of pitcher that if you want to get ahead, I mean, you got to earn it. And I remember that oh, yeah. I saw that one, I saw that one clip of him pitching yeah. against Pete Rose. But he, oh, he, that was he, so he was good. a Philly. Yeah. He was with Philly. And it seemed like the, it, it just seemed like they didn't like each other. I don't know if that's true or not. That it seemed like that when they were, when he was pitching against them, it's like they just wanted to fight. They just wanted to just throw it on the glove, throw it on the bat, and just start fighting. That's just how they looked at each other. And I thought that was I thought that was funny as all hell. It was, dude. It was a good at bat. And you're right, man. They like, like they were both like intense competitors, and like they just didn't uh, care about being friends in that moment. Like Bob Gibson used to say that he hated the All Star Game. Because he's like, I don't want to be teammates with these guys. Like, I just want to kick their butt. Like, I hate the All-Star game. Like, he hated it because he was like, just like what you said. Like, he was just a madman, and it was all about the competition. And I think that's what a lot of older ball players don't like about these newer ball players because they're sort of like cordial and friendly with each other. Uh, and they yeah. just don't want to kill each other. But a couple days ago, the – Brave or not the Braves, the Cubs and the Reds went at it, and Javi Baez tried to fight a couple guys. He was throwing the middle fingers, and they were holding him back and everything, and I liked it, man. It had a good old-school uh-huh. feel to it. I thought there was going to be a fight. One of the best fights I ever saw on TV, I'm sure everybody's heard, I, I, I'm sure everybody knows about it. It's, it was the, uh, one of my favorite fights was Nolan Ryan, Robin Ventura fight. Oh, such a good one. There's so many things about that game that are completely crazy. And it's it just like, from my, from, my, from my perspective, it was Nolan Ryan was the seasoned vet, and yet his upstart, Robin Ventura, trying to be a punk and trying to get one off on him, and he just threw it at him. And he, he, he hit him, take your base, and get over it. But no, he tried to be an upstart, and he tried to take, he tried to throw down with yeah. Owen Ryan, and Owen Ryan beat the crap out of him. And what's so crazy about that is it was, I think Robin was 26 and Nolan was 46. It was at least a 20-year uh-huh. difference between those guys. And uh-huh. Nolan Ryan stayed in the game and got, like, the next 19 hitters out in order after beating up Robin Ventura. 
and it was like, you know, if you like a little skip, you go, hey, I want to take you out, guys. You know, and it was Robin Victoria, like, and here comes Snow Rise, and Tom takes you to the woodshed, starting to like, wham, 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 wham. Dude, yeah. yeah. If you're going to charge the mound as a young dude, like, just don't charge Nolan Ryan. You know, the only time anyone had ever charged the mound on Nolan Ryan was Dave Winfield. And Nolan Ryan didn't expect it. So after that fight, Nolan always said, if anyone charges the mound, I'm fighting them because they're going to hit me and they could, you know, really do damage to me. So Robin. Yeah. Like, basically, Dave Winfield, absolute freak of nature, three-sport athlete, drafted by four professional leagues. That's a big dude, you know? And so mm -hmm. you've got to figure, like, Nolan's going to be ready for you, man, because you're not as big as Dave Winfield is. How how tall was Nolan Ryan? He had to have been over six feet. I can He's 6'5". Uh, hold on. I can search it right now. I'm in front of my computer. Nolan Ryan was only six two, six two one seven. Oh, six two. Yeah. Uh, he, he he would still tower. I'm, I'm five seven. He would he would still tower over me. Yeah, Nolan was six two one seventy. Robin listed six one one eighty five. Oh jeez. You know, Robin Ventura was voted, uh, I think, the second or third greatest college baseball player of all time. Him and Pete Incavilia are apparently like the two of the best guys ever. In college baseball, and I didn't realize mm -hmm. that Robin was that good of a college player, but apparently he was the real deal. It just seemed like after that fight, his career went. Dude, he, I don't, stats-wise, you know, I've watched a lot of 90s ball. I always liked Robin hitting. He, I don't know mm -hmm. when that happened. That might have been in, like, 92. I mean, he, uh, he had a pretty steady career, I guess. Um but, I mean, he had to have heard it nonstop from mm -hmm. guys. Like, there's no way anybody let him live that down. I think <laughs> to this day, if he's out in public, they probably ask him how, you know, how his head is after Nolan Ryan hit him a few so, times. Uh, like, get this guy a knuckle sandwich. Apparently, the real stat on that is he hit Nolan – or Nolan Ryan hit Robin Ventura like eight or nine times in the head. And only uh -huh. threw, like, seven pitches that inning. And that's a yeah. real thing. Like, I've seen the meme floating around that says um, he threw more punches than pitches that inning. And I think it's actually true. It's <laughs> uh, so wild, man. And, and, and another fight that I, 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 I liked, it was – what year was it? It was 90 – it was New York Yankees and, and Baltimore Orioles. And the pitcher for Baltimore nailed Tino Martinez in the back. I, that, that game, they were, they were both like, both teams were just ready to fight. And I think that hit on Tino was sort of like the starter broke the camel's back. And all of a sudden, all hell broke loose. And you had, you, you, that's, when, that's when Strawberry was playing, for the, was playing for the Yankees. And they were holding, he had three or four people holding back Strawberry because he wanted to get this pitcher for nailing Tino. And, they just fought, 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 fought. They thought, you know, hey, oh, the game, it's, it's starting to simmer down now. And all of a sudden, Strawberry takes it into, into the dugout. And just, just, they just won't let it go. And then you saw young, young Joe Girardi trying to, I guess, try to scrap a bit. It was hilarious. You know, I don't think I've actually ever seen that fight. I'm going to have to YouTube it after this. But I know one of the wildest fights. Have you ever seen that Atlanta Braves Padres fight from like 
1985 with like Pasquale Perez and Ed Whitson. I have not. Dude, it's like, so apparently what happened is the Braves and the Padres had been going at it for a while. And Pasquale Perez was with the Braves. And apparently he had hit a guy and then someone hit Pasquale like three at bats in a row or something like that. And then fans were coming out of the stands to fight. Ed Whitson, who was a pitcher for the Padres, had like no shirt on and a wife beater and a gold chain fighting fans because fans had run onto the field. It was nuts, man. There's a long, there's an edited clip that MLB posted, but then there's another Mm -hmm. dude on YouTube that has posted like a different clip that you can see some more of it. And it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. It's sort of like, you ever watch that clip with Ron Artest when the Lakers were fighting the Pistons and like Ron Artest went into the stands and started fighting fans. It was sort of like, oh yeah, fans were coming onto the field in that Braves Padres game. And players were fighting them. Like, somebody tried to take, like, one of the Braves players' hats or something, and the mm-hmm. player ended up decking him. Like, it was just – baseball in the 70s and 80s sometimes was just mass chaos, man. Like, that disco demolition, that was nuts. Mm-hmm. Like, they were – Old school baseball with the nacho helmet and the Fu Manchu Dude, stash. It, it really was, man. During the disco demolition, fans were lighting fires – on the field and not to burn the records. They were just like lighting bonfires on the field. I think they all must've been on acid and it was like fans would sneak like fireworks into games. And then Cleveland had the 10 cent beer night. Like it was, it was a heck of an experience, man. But I love watching those games on YouTube. They're so fun, man. Just nothing but like what you said, nacho helmets, red man, chaw, like unreal fun stuff. It's really fun, man. I love watching that stuff. Mm-hmm. I would say there's like a, I don't know what it is. Like, I think it's all one YouTube clip where you can watch the game before the actual disco demolition. Cause I think it was a scheduled doubleheader where there was a game, then the demolition, and then there was supposed to be another game. And it's actually a really good clip because Harry Carey was a White Sox announcer at the time. And he calls the game and vintage Harry Carey, Calling White Sox games, so fun, dude. He doesn't even sound like the same guy. He's just he's just as energetic, but in a different way. It's really interesting. It's fun. But listen, I, I remember what's that again? Oh no, go ahead. What were you gonna say? Oh, oh I, I remember the one huge fight was the two thousand three ALCS Yankees Red Sox. Oh, was that the one where Pedro threw down Don Zimmer? Yeah, he hit check. Oh, or he hit tossed him. <laughs> he did. And then, like, I remember Jason Veritek, like, just shoving. And I don't know if it was in the ALCS. That might have been a regular season game, but maybe the same year where mm-hmm. Jason Veritek just, like, shoved and punched A-Rod just, like, right in his face, man. Those teams hated each other. Yeah, it was – that was that was the, the, the famous ALCS when uh, Aaron Boone hit that walk-off. Man, those years with those Yankees and Red Sox mm. were nuts, man. Then in 04, where the Red Sox came back from 3-0 down. Hey, listen, man. Yeah. You remember when you said that the Atlanta Braves, that you hated them a lot and really didn't uh-huh. like them? So I just thought I just, of it now. I just I disliked the 90s Braves. I disliked them with a passion. Listen, I sort of have 
Like, I like the Florida Marlins, like, so many of the Marlins players historically, like Benito Santiago, Charlie Mm -hmm. Huff, Dave Magadan, Gary Sheffield, Chuck Carr. But I sort of have, like, I I don't know how to say it other than when I was a little kid, I watched the movie Poltergeist really young, and Uh. it scared me forever. Uh-huh. And that's sometimes how I am with the Marlins because in 2003, when the Marlins beat the Chicago Cubs with the whole Steve Bartman mm-hmm. thing, like it's like mm-hmm. I don't have a hate for the Marlins, but last year the Cubs played the Marlins in the postseason for like the shortened season, and I uh-huh. knew the Cubs were going to lose, and they did. They only scored one run the whole entire series, and I told my wife, I said, there's no way they can win this. It's the Marlins. It's just going to happen. And they lost. And I remember, listen, do you have, let me ask you this. Do you have any key moments or like really good memories, like sitting in front of the TV and watching a particular baseball game? Like one game uh, you watch where you're just like, and it, the answer may be no, but I have to ask. It, it has to be that 92 game seven NLCS. Oh, I keep I, digging was, up old wounds. You're never going to be on this podcast again. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> And that's no, no, it's, no. It's like, that's like that's like the game I remember as a kid. Jesus, because man. Listen, do you ever? Time. Do you ever? Have you rewatched that game since? I rewatched, I guess the last, the last inning, and I'm looking like the Pirates could have put that away right off the bat. I mean, you know, Jose Lee went for that that catch and he kind of got his glove wrong and it smacked off his glove and it got one the one the Braves got on base because he, he, he cradled that ball wrong. And he, well, he, was a, there was a, there was a, there was a documentary about that back in 2012 and they had a pirate. Documentary? It was, it was, Ooh, I got to write that I down. Guess, I'm going to have to dig for it. It was some kind of, I, I don't know if it was a documentary or if it was some kind of. They had the local news station, the, the local sports station. That's what I was going to say. It like may a, have been like Root Sports or something that like yeah, had like their own doc, I bet. Yeah, it was 2012. You know, they were talking about the 92 Pirates. And the. the they were. They had, they had Mike Lavalier and they had Andy Dan Slyke and they had. Can't remember who else they had, and they were talking about that last inning, where it was two outs, you know, two one Pirates. Oh yeah. And and they had they had Sid on Sid was on base, and they had this they had Francisco Cabrera coming up the bat. And wasn't Francisco Cabrera like a pinch hitter? He I don't think he was yeah, even he, an everyday player. He, yeah, he was a pinch hitter, oh. and he was and he was notorious for being. Uh, a fast line drive hitter. Yeah. And um, I remember Van Slyke was taught, was telling Barry, you know, move up, move up, move up. This guy's a, he's a fast low ball hitter, line drive hitter. He'll hit it and he'll go, he'll come right at you. And you know, Barry's like, yeah, whatever, whatever. Oh, so you know, that and, happened? So somebody instructed Barry to play closer and he didn't do it? Yeah. Oh no! That's so Van Slyke, so Van Slyke said to him one more, one last time, like, "Come on, he's going to hit it hard. He's going to hit fast, and you're not going to be able to catch it." And Barry gave him 
the universal greeting, so to speak. Well, because Barry didn't like Andy, did he? I think I think I think in '92, uh, Barry wanted out. He wanted out of Pittsburgh. Yeah, well, apparently he almost got traded to the Braves. I think in '92. Did you ever hear about that? And Jim Leland threw a fit because they were going to trade him to the Braves because they were like, "Well, we're going to lose him anyway." And mm, Jim Leland I didn't was know, like, "I knew." I knew the two teams were after him. I knew that the Yankees were after him. I knew that the Giants were after him. And he went with the Giants as sort of like this family nostalgia. Yeah, I could see that for sure. I mean, because his dad – and his dad, I think, was like still the first base coach there or something. But mm -hmm. I know, dude, like when you're getting into like reliving the last inning, that's what it's like with the Cubs. So that when they played like game six – of that mm -hmm. 03 NLCS, it all broke down in the eighth inning with, like, you know, Moises Alou said he was going to catch that ball, but Bartman interfered, and then they had a shortstop named Alex Gonzalez who booted a ball, who was, like, a mm -hmm. premier defender, and then mm -hmm. Dusty Baker continued to leave Mark Pryor in the game, who he had already thrown, like, 140 pitches. It well, was here's a bit wild. And you can relive the whole thing, and... The reason why I asked if you'd ever watched that game because there's a Cubs documentary called Catching Hell yeah. where it talks about that. Dude, and as yeah. bad as that game was, because I remember being in front of the TV. We had a Magnavox console TV still, even though it was 03. And I remember watching that game with my dad, and he got pissed. He threw the remote. He was mad. But, like, well, as bad as it hurts, I'll still watch that documentary because mm -hmm. I don't know why. Like, I still do it, you know? Well, here's a – Here's a bit of a trivia. Whenever supposedly Bartman was the one to try to go for that foul ball, and he interfered with the play. Now, what should have happened with that play was is that if theoretically, if Bartman had interfered with that pit, it interfered with that play and grabbed that ball, so Alou couldn't grab it. Theoretically, that should have been an out for. Um, for the Cubs, yeah, it should have been, it should have been an out for them. They they made a, they I think they I don't think they did they they designated a foul ball. Yeah, but since it was player interference, it should have been an out. So them him getting the Cubs getting out in that particular play would have benefited them more than than being considered a foul ball. It would have been a strike a third out. And inning game would have been over with. Yeah, it would have. You're right. It, so it's like it, Bartman would have been doing them a favor. Yes, yeah, so I mean it would be no harm, no foul. Be, and if he had been the one trying to grab that ball, it would have been th three out, third out, and been basically no harm, no foul. And I remember, I remember when they were talking to whenever describing whole events Bartman they, he had to get police escort back to his place because oh, yeah. fans wanted fans wanted to annihilate this guy dude they were throwing beers on him they were taunting him like they wanted to fight him like he was going to get hurt and to this day he still hasn't made a public appearance he like no. during that catch which you've probably seen the catching hell documentary like he like was like I'll have my attorneys call you and then just never called like he won't mm -hmm. talk to anybody. The Cubs invited him back after the World Series. He just won't come. They and, they wanted to get him a they wanted to give him a ring. Oh 
yeah. And he just he he's like been a hermit ever since. I I, state, you know, they're talking about state police had to escort him out of the stadium, and you know he had to get in that he like I said he had to get he had to get a ride from the police back to his back to his house or apartment, whatever, because he was afraid he was going to get killed that night. Dude, I got to believe that had to mess with him so much. Like, I think about, like, we're having this conversation because we love baseball. It really means a lot to us. Like, it's a family thing for us, right? Like, I think, are you the one that told me that to you baseball was sort of like a religion? I heard that no. somewhere. Well, it's sort of like, you ever watched the movie? You've watched Bull Durham, right? Yeah. That's like one of the opening lines in that movie, right? Like baseball means a lot to us. And I imagine it meant a lot to Bartman. He was like a little league coach, you know, was always coming to Cubs games. And it was sort of just uh, like the sport that he loved more than anything, just like mm -hmm. spit in his face. You know, like he's there. He's a Cubs fan. He didn't mean any harm. He's not the reason why they lost, no more than Bill Buckner's the reason why the Red Sox lost. <laughs> and I have I have a friend. I used to I had a coworker that you know, I followed the Yankees, and he was a diehard Boston fan. Yeah, and with, and to get him mad, you could either say one of two names: Aaron Boone or Bill Buckner. Uh. And, 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 you know, and he, you know, I I worked in a I worked for a grocery store chain, and he, I was one day I was helping out the front, you know, getting buggies out of that cart mm. back into the store, and we were talking about baseball, and you know. You know, he was he was he was chirping about the Red Sox mm -hmm. and Yankees, you know, and this and that. And then I said, and I said to him about, about Red Sox. And he he, I was like, you know, you know, yeah, they might be you know, the, the Red Sox might be in might be in first place, maybe go to the playoffs. But I just got two words for you, Aaron Boone. And he got so he got so mad. He's like, "Ready to throw a buggy at me, like a car at me. I believe it, hundred percent, man. Because I, I said Aaron Boone, and he got so pissed. Dude, the Red Sox Yankees rivalry; those are no joke. They are intense. Mm -hmm. Like my wife's from Long Island, so she grew up a Yankees fan, and mm -hmm. she like if I mention the Red Sox to her, it's. I don't really know how to describe it, but it's like you would be giving somebody like the biggest insult in the world. Mm -hmm. Like there's a movie. Hold on. I'm trying to think of. Oh, you ever watch the movie Venom with uh, Tom Hardy in it? Yeah. So, you know, in that movie where they play like the high pitched sounds and Venom like freaks out and uh -huh. almost dies. That's what it's like if I even say. If I were to tell my wife, I think I'm going to watch a Red Sox game on TV, it's like playing that sound of Venom. And, like, they're going to, she's going to, like, internally combust. Like, I don't know what has happened in that rivalry. But, like, being a Cubs fan, like, the Cubs rivals are like the Cardinals, right? And then who would, who were the main, do the Pirates have, is there, you live in Pennsylvania. Is there, like, a Phillies Pirates thing, like, when they play each other, like, sort of like a, interstate rivalry or anything like that yeah it, yeah it, it's like because because pittsburgh had you know pittsburgh i would say is, is like we you know pittsburgh has their has our we have our you know our traditions our cultures we have that we have that dialect when we say dad tan or south side and okay. all that kind of yeah philadelphia you know i have 
my uncle, my uncle, he he moved to Philadelphia years and years ago, and he he got married, and he married a, a he married someone from Philly, mm-hmm. and he, the the woman that he who she was my aunt became my aunt. She he she had family. They all lived in the Philadelphia area, and they had that whole entire dialect with like they wouldn't say water, they'd say water. <laughs> And, you know, if I drink a Pepsi, I don't drink Pepsi, I call it pop. And they like soda. They're like, no, it's not soda, it's pop. And are you telling me that's the difference between like a Phillies fan and a Pirates fan? It's, I would say, I, I, my, my own thing, I think it's just pure jealousy because the only thing that came out of Philly, <laughs> the only thing, only thing that came out of Philadelphia sports, Philadelphia sports is Rocky Balboa. <laughs> I just, I just, I just. I can't, you know, you know, I think it's just jealousy. I'm Dude, probably, I'm, awesome. I'm probably, I'm probably infuriating a ton of Philadelphia fans. So I'm just, I can't help it. You yeah. know, I, I understand, you know, Philadelphia was the birthplace of, you know, of, of the USA, but when, when, when it comes, <laughs> but on I don't sports, care. You can kiss my butt. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes on, when it comes on to sports, the only thing good that came out of Philadelphia was Rocky Balboa. I'm sorry. Dude, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one, man. Like, Dude, if if Rocky's on TV, I gotta watch it. Like, I can't do anything mm-hmm. else. So, like, I'll give it that, dude. Dude, that's. But speaking of movies, man, let me ask you this because I wanted to talk about baseball movies now. First, well, my my daughter, my daughter, my daughter wanted to wanted to tell you her favorite. Yeah, put, he put her on. Tell, yeah, put her on. Yeah, he wanted to tell her tell you his her favorite sports baseball sports moment. Hold on. So one time, me and Daddy went to a pirate game, uh-huh. and, and um, we were letting all the kids on the bases. And then when I started running the bases, I, all the kids were all in one were in front of me, and Mommy was filming a video. Then I just go, and then I just come out of nowhere like you. Oh, nice. We so you ran the bases really fast. Yeah, I bet that was yeah. fun because I've never been on a major league baseball field and ran the bases. So I bet that was really cool. Listen, so Maddie, do you, so you like the Pirates as well? Yeah. That's and awesome. Oh, you like the Pirates and the Yankees? Well, my wife would like you a lot because she's a Yankees fan too. And my daughter, she's uh, 15 months old. She has a Yankees hat as well. She has a Yankees and a Cubs hat. Who's your favorite baseball player? I forget. Would you like Francisco Cervelli? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one right there. Team Italy. He's a good catcher. She's got good taste. She knows baseball, man. She probably knows more than I do. That's a good pick. Yeah, we were sad when he got sent to. He went. He went to to the Marlins. Oh, was the Marlins knew what they were doing when they were getting him. Listen, that's an impressive favorite player to have for a ten-year-old, like a mm-hmm. gritty grinder catcher. You know, you would you would figure someone would pick like Vlad Jr. or Tatis or Bryce Harper, but to pick Francisco Cervelli, that's impressive. And and before I started running the bases, this girl came up to me and she gave me a baseball from one of the players. Oh no way! Do you still have it? Yes, in my daddy's oh, drawer. That's awesome. Yeah, getting a base, getting a baseball from an actual player like that's that's a pretty cool deal because you know they played with it and had it in their hand. So yeah, you got to always keep that thing. That's gonna be awesome. Mm-hmm. Maybe get some oh, autograph. Yeah. Maybe get some autographs on it. You guys, you guys going to any games this year? 
Um, we're planning going to the Father's Day game. Oh, nice, dude! That's gonna be so fun. I can't. I cannot wait to take my daughter to a baseball game. I might. I think this year, like, I'm gonna try to get to some minor league games. But being that she's so young, I don't think I'm gonna take her to any major league games. I mean, if the weather's cool, like, I'll take her, I guess. But she's yeah. still in like she still takes a nap a day, so I can't really get uh, too far from home because she's got to sleep somewhere. But have you been to a baseball game with your daughter? You obviously have, right? How much fun yeah, is that? I, That's got to be awesome. It's awesome, you know. I mean, from my point of view, from from where I see it, baseball is, I consider baseball family. Baseball means family. You know, it's at one time during it's one time when you have you know life is you're dealing with you know paying the bills, you know food on the table. You get to baseball is the one for me. Baseball just has spending quality time with my daughter. And it's for me, it's having shared memories with her that she knows she's not going to forget. Dude, I think that is so fun, man, because that's sort of like what's, you know, like what makes having this Instagram and podcast so fun. And I emphasize enough, it's not because of me, man. It's because of like that belief that you just said, like there's this intersection of family and baseball that is beyond the game, you know, like me and you never made it to the pros. Like I never played baseball past high school. Right. So like for mm -hmm. me, it's very much like not because I was successful at it, but like what it means. Right. Like I remember going places with my dad when we were kids, like, you know, after baseball practice, we'd go to coast to coast, which was like this little hardware store. And I would carry the little brown envelopes and like count the screws and put them in the thing, you know, and like, mm -hmm just being able to share that moment with your daughter, like going places like, you know, you go to the ball game, but after that, you know, you might go to Dairy Queen and get a dilly bar or something like that. And it's the things that surround the game, you know, not just the game itself, yeah. but like, you know, the time spent together, the, the values learned, you know, like putting time into family. I think that's a huge deal. And it goes back like, to what you said about everything being simple, you know, it's simple. Let's just be together yeah. and do something, you know? And it's like what you said before, you know, you 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 you're young and you know you think you're indestructible. And the drop of a you know the step of a finger, time flies. And I think you know, the best thing to do with that time that you have is 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 make the good memories. And then for me, that's what yeah. baseball is: is making good memories with with my daughter. You know, and I hope you know when she ever decides to have kids. She'll do the same thing, you know. Me, little grandpa, taking Maddie and the and the, Dude, and the little munchkin. That's what. Yes. God, we're gonna be you know, grandpas one day, man. That's gonna be so crazy. Black people, I, I will, I will give you one bit, one thing. A daughter's first hero is always your father. That's good to know. That's, I better not let her down. That's like it's like it's like someone someone told me that. When I found out I was having a girl, and he's like, "Just remember that the that daughter's first year is always your father." Dude, that's a powerful statement, man. Like, I take being a dad like serious. Like, I don't mess around, and it doesn't sound like you do either, man. Like, it's a big responsibility, but it's also one that's just really fun. You know, I have mm -hmm. fun being a dad, and I think a lot of that is because I, you know, became a dad later in life. Like. I have a 15-month-old, and I'm 37, you know, so I'd like to think I was pretty good and mature by the time that happened. And I also, like, 
like I think with being a kid, like I think when I was a kid, like I was young, so I liked my parents. And then I became like an angry teenager, so I hated everybody. Then by the time I got like into my 30s, like I understood it all, you know, like it Mm -hmm. took that long. And, you know, I really like what you said about sort of like, you know, handing that down, you know, if she ever has kids and stuff like that and sort of holding on to those moments. And that's why I think the nostalgia is like so powerful because I think it serves as a pretty good reminder, you know, of like, you know, looking back and, you know, when you talk about like our dads and our grandpas and our parents just, you know, doing things for us, it sort of helps us to remember what really matters. And baseball is just a wonderful way, I think, to, mm-hmm. you know, use to remember that. It's like, you ever, did you watch the, um, the, ever watch the Ken Burns baseball documentary? I have not, Dude, unfortunately. Holy crap. Listen, man, that. I'm going to give you like my Amazon Prime login or something. That, it, you and your daughter oh, I can have Amazon. watch that. I have Amazon. If it's still on Prime, I hope uh-huh. it is. But like if you ever get around to watching it, dude, that's something that you and your daughter could enjoy. So there's a guy in that um, documentary. He used to play for the Kansas City Monarchs. His name's Buck O'Neill. Truly mm-hmm. one of the sweetest dudes ever. And one of my all-time favorite – well, he's got two favorite quotes. I'm going to tell you both of them. But one of my favorite quotes of his, he says that he says something along the lines of baseball makes him feel like a kid again. Like when he starts talking about baseball, he's no longer 80. He's like 13, you know, and all of a sudden mm-hmm. like can become a kid again because of what it can do. And the interviews in that Ken Burns documentary are from like really good baseball writers. Like there's Buck O'Neill, who was a player, but then there's, there's a guy named Gerald Early who is like a, a sports historian type guy who's like he's a professor at Washington University in St. Louis and then a really good author named George Will who I've got a book of his right now called Men at Work where yeah. he follows the season of like Tony La Russa, uh, Tony Gwynn and then he picks like a manager, an outfielder, an infielder and a pitcher and the only names I remember are La Russa and Gwynn at this point and he's such a good writer dude and those documentaries – like or it basically takes you through a history of baseball, but what's mm-hmm. a pleasant surprise of it is the people that they interview as part of the documentary, dude, they just have the best stories to tell, and they do a really good job of explaining like why we love baseball so much. Uh, George Will, he was the he's a political commentator, right, for ABC. Um, he is could be now. Will's? I only know him. His name's George Will. And I only uh-huh. know him from baseball stuff. I don't know what he does okay. news-wise. Okay. But I think he's an older guy now. Here, I'm about to tell you. Oh, he is. Listen, because he wrote for, he writes regular columns for the Washington Post, and he provides commentary for NBC News and MSNBC. So he is a okay. news guy. Yeah, and he's a writer yeah. for the Post. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I actually, one of, my, one of my friends, my college buddy, he actually got an autograph from George Will. Really? And he and he got it he he put on a baseball. That's awesome, dude. I would love to meet him and Gerald Early. This guy named Gerald Early, he wrote a he's wrote a couple sports books. One I read and he really talks a lot about like Kurt Flood and the reserve clause and stuff like that. And it is a phenomenal book. I've been meaning to buy that Wax Pack book. 
Oh, I shit. haven't had a chance. Dude, I read that book, man. It's good. Is it? It's, dude, it's like he interviews a lot of baseball players. A guy named Don Carmen, who's a guy mm. I had never heard of, who was a starting pitcher for the Phillies. He tries mm-hmm. to track down a few other guys. Like, I don't want to give too much of the way, but the players that are featured in the book, which you find out as soon as you open it, are mm-hmm. Doc Gooden, Vince Coleman, Don Carmen, Randy Reddy. Um, those are the only ones I can think of off the top of my head, but he gets players to open up. Like, there's stuff in that book that I bet you couldn't read anywhere else because of just how the guy that wrote it, his name's Brad Baluchian, uh-huh. and he goes to, like, these players' hometowns to, like, interview their neighbors, and then he tracks down the players themselves, and it's... Dude, he puts so much work into that book. It's really good. And he, he said he got it off. Of, he, he thought he did it from, what was it, 1988 Tops? 86. 86. 86 Tops. Yeah. Dude, 86 Tops. Is 88 Tops, is that probably your favorite card? Because that was I one start, of the first I, ones you opened? When I, first, when I first started collecting baseball cards, it was 89 Tops. Oh, dude, in 80, 89, dude, I was like that with, so I had an older brother who was born in 79, so he had a lot of older cards, and he had some mm-hmm. 86 tops, but the first set I ever got was a set of 1991 Donruss, and they're not the uh-huh. greatest looking cards, but they mean a lot to me, dude, I love them, like I've got some wax packs spread around in my office, and then on my top shelf, like I've got the box set as well, like the whole complete set, dude, and it's Dude, rated rookies and diamond kings are my jam. But that '89 tops design, dude, that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite cards. That's a good card. And I actually have, I I have Ken Griffey Juniors, rookie for Don Ross. I don't, I don't have the legendary upper deck one. Oh, it's like dude. a zillion dollars. That's a card that changed the game, man. Like. I think that was the first card ever that was produced for a player that had never played. I think Upper Deck made that card before he even played in the minors. Like, I think he was Uh just drafted, and they're like, hey, this kid might be good, so let's just make him card number one of this brand new set of cards that we're going to make. Yeah. Yeah, it's Upper Deck. Like, they even heard of Upper Deck. It was was either Topps, Don Russ, or Fleer. Yes, I love Fleer, dude. Listen, Fleer it is slowly like, becoming like my favorite card. Like I call Fleer cards the working man's cards. Like they might not be as pretty as like a Topps mm-hmm. card, but man, to me they're just like a gritty card. Like Fleer is a catcher. Fleer cards mm-hmm. are Francisco Cervelli. Man, they're gritty. They can take a hit. They're the best cards ever, dude. I was so upset when he retired. Like no, is it just just go with the Pirates one just. Sign for one day contract so you can retire as a pirate. Dude, it's always sucky when like players leave your team. Like I'm worried that Anthony Rizzo's gonna leave the Cubs. And I don't like I like the Cubs, but a lot of the players they have now I don't really care for. But Rizzo to me, man, is like a Don Baylor type. He hogs the plate, he's gritty. He tried to fight the whole Cincinnati Reds dugout one time. And if he leaves the Cubs, like Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll still like the Cubs, but wherever he goes, I'm probably going to follow him. Let, let me ask you a question about about John Lester. Why does he have his glove like that? Like he's making out with it. 
always looks like he's. I assume I know what you mean because he puts it really close up to his face. I yeah. I would imagine it's so he doesn't tip his pitches because like okay. him and like Clayton Kershaw will like like Clayton Kershaw's got that Wilson A two thousand and he'll spread it apart so far it's like he loosened the laces on to get it to do it, and I imagine uh-huh. John does that. Because so he'll like put it by his face and do it. But yeah. also like it looks pretty cool, right? Like I imagine he watched Tombstone and thinks he's like Wyatt Earp on the mound. So like maybe it's a little bit of intimidation factor. I I, I, mean, I always look at it, I always watch him, you know, with his glove up to his face and he's like 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 you making out with that glove? Why don't you just Pick it out for a steak dinner Dude, and like, get some like, wine and roses. Yeah, man, it's like he's in there like watching a video on YouTube or something. He's like, "What do I got today, man? Like, what are we gonna throw, dude? Like, it's wild." But he does it, man. And uh, dude, he had a pretty good start the other day. He's like thirty six or thirty seven and still pitching, kind of decent. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty yeah. pumped about that, man. But you know what I? You know, I meant to tell you something earlier, man. You know, you were you did a really good description of Roberto Clemente, and. Mm-hmm. Shohei Otani reminds me of Clemente some, like just like a very humble, sweet dude who's really mm-hmm. good at baseball. Like, you ever watch any Angels games? No, I haven't. Dude, he like if I've seen him on multiple occasions, like hit a foul ball that sort of bounces off the plate, and he'll pick uh-huh. it up for the catcher and hand it to him. And like his rookie season. He was hauling tail down the first base and like bumped into Eric Hosmer and mm-hmm. almost knocked Eric over. And he like apologized to him and like made sure he was okay. And it's like, I like it, you know, like as I get older, like I get a little more sentimental. Like I love gritty baseball, right? Like if someone wants to fight, like let's make it happen, right? But like I <laughs> yeah. also love like the kindness behind that, which sort of goes against like, you know, probably what you should do. But Otani seems just like a really nice dude. But he's also, like, he had one game where he threw the fastest pitch in baseball mm-hmm. this year and then hit a home run that was the hardest hit ball. Like, he's a freak athlete, like Bo Jackson or something. And so if you I, get I, bored I, one night, uh, uh-huh. watch you an Angels game, man. It's kind of, kind of crappy, man, because, you know, if they're playing out west, like their games don't start until like 9 or 10, so they're really hard to uh-huh. watch. So I end up having to watch a lot of them on DVR or something like that, but it's worth the watch. Do you follow any teams that aren't the Pirates? Like, do you have an alternate team? Uh, I follow the Yankees. On occasion, yeah. I just—they need to figure out how to win this year, man. Yeah, I don't know what's. I've going been on. looking at like they're like last place almost. It's really weird. I'm not so used to seeing them in last place like that. But you know, you got to figure. It's amazing that the guys this year that are hitting well that they're able mm-hmm. to do it because last season was such a truncated season. It was almost like missing an entire season. Because if you played every game, you only played 60 games. And guys mm-hmm. like Judge and Stanton, like, they didn't – I don't even know if Stanton played last year, but if both of them played, I know it wasn't a full 60. But you got to figure, like, Cole's pitching good. I One of the things I like about – I like Aaron Judge a lot, and I think he's a really good hitter because I believe that he's really good at adjusting on the fly. 
And so he's a guy to me that I look at where I don't think he'll have a bad season. I think he can like adjust during the season and come out of it. Like that's the type of hitter, like what he strikes me as where if he's going to have like a bad time, it might only be like a month and he's going to snap out of it. Well, the one thing with the Yankees that kind of perplexes me is that you know, they had the reputation of being, you know, buying players. But this, it seems like they always get the players like when they're like their fourth or fifth year. You know, they have these, they have, they have those great years, and they say, "Well, we're going to buy this guy," and they don't sort of produce like how yeah they hope to do. I know when they when they when they got a rod you know he that was, the yankees was his was his third team he went through yeah and, and it's sort of like that with stanton too like you get a stanton that's almost like 30 years old and the year yeah. before stanton was a yankee he hit 59 home runs and got the mvp but then before that he always sort of struggled with injuries but you want to know what's wild about the yankees is like yeah like they've bought some players like i think garrett cole's going to end up being a good move because uh-huh. he just seems like he he can just pitch, you know. He sort of seems like a Justin Verlander type where, you know, there are a few of those guys that are still around, like Verlander, Scherzer, who are probably going to pitch until they're 40, even though Verlander just got Tommy John, so it doesn't bode well. But, I, I mean, I think he'll be back and pitch a few years. And Garrett Cole sort of strikes me where he's sort of cut from that same cloth, where he's just like a, a grinder who can come out. He can throw you 100-plus pitches and get the job done. But – the Yankees have sort of done a good job of like hustling and getting guys like who's like Gio Urshela. They got Gio Urshela for probably nothing. And I feel like when he's healthy and playing, he's one of the best offensive and maybe defensive third basemans in all of baseball. Like he's a good dude. And then like they, they made the trades with like, what they had one year where they traded both Andrew Miller and Aroldis Chapman and ended up getting like three, like probably top or no, maybe it was just two like top 50 prospects. They got Glaber Torres and Clint Frazier and Clint Frazier. It seems like this year they're making him an everyday player and he's really good. He can hit. Mm. He needs to get a haircut. That's all. Jeez, dude, he's got some curly, he's got some curly curls, man. Listen, we're at an hour thirty, so before it gets too late and everybody's got to go to bed, I wanted okay. to talk about baseball movies. So uh-huh. two nights ago, I rented, or I bought the Sandlot on Amazon Prime because I didn't have it on DVD, and uh-huh. I watched the Sandlot and ordered a Pizza Hut pizza, and dude, it was like the best Friday night I had in a while. And so I got to thinking, I was like, I don't know what my favorite baseball movie is because it's such a hard thing to determine like i'm sort of up between field of dreams and the sandlot like i think those are sort of like my top two uh what are your top two well it would have one one happy field of dreams uh i grew up with a sandlot i grew up with when i was that they they, that came out in 92 yeah you know that that was them two was probably my favorites, my top favorites. Um, if I want to watch a baseball game and get a good, get a good laugh out of it, it'd be happy Major League. Oh, I watched Major League today. Dude, so good. I mean, I, 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 when I first watched that as a kid, I could not stop laughing. 
I when you had when you had Corbin Burnson, you know, you know he he he's like here like here you go Lou, here's my contract. I can't do any unhealthy. I can't do any health any, any uh, calisthenics that I feel is unnecessary. It's not necessary. What do you think about that? So Lou Brown just whips out, you know, and, and just decides to relieve himself all over his contract. Yeah, I thought was just. Dude, there are so many good characters in that movie. Like, obviously, like, Ricky Vaughn, Wild Thing, right? But, like, Pedro uh-huh. Serrano, he was, like, my favorite character on the whole thing. Like, he's praying to Joe Boo, lighting stuff on fire. He's looking <laughs> for a live chicken because he needs to, like, yeah. release the curse from his bat. Like, he's man. Like, like, uh, dude, Major that, League is so one of the, Dude, it's unreal. Major League is one of those movies where it's, like, if I'm watching TV and either Major League – Rocky Four or Back to the Future. If one of those mm-hmm. three movies are on, I will drop everything, and I just have to watch the movie. Like I don't know what it is. It's not like that with the Sandlot or Field of Dreams because those movies are more emotional for me. So I guess mm-hmm. I sort of have to be prepped to watch them. But like Major League, like you said, it's just like a funny, addicting flick where like you could just watch it over and over again. Like if I'm playing Desert Island. And I get to get like a movie and a book and something else. Like my movie might be Major League because I could just watch it over and over. Have you ever watched Sixty One? No, I think you asked me that once before, or somebody did. Uh-huh. No, there are a few good baseball movies that apparently I need to watch that I haven't. Like I've now I've never watched Sixty One. There are a lot of folks that like Moneyball that I've never I've never watched Moneyball, and I think I like Moneyball. Was it good? Yeah, it was pretty decent. It was, it was all about the um, 2002 Oakland Athletics. Yeah, when they got they got their team gutted from the part of the previous year, and they were using that that whole computer type yeah. mm-hmm. way of trying to recreate their team. You know what's uh, funny? 60- yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is, like, what's funny about all, like, the data-driven, like, athletics and Astros, it seems mm-hmm. like the first team that did it were the Florida Marlins because they were tightwads. So they sold their whole team after 97 and then won yeah. again in 03. And it's, like, and not because they thought they were being smart, just because they wanted the money. <laughs> yeah, I, I, remember, I remember that 2003 2003- Whenever the whenever the Marlins won, and you just saw Steinbrenner just blowing his stack. Yeah, like did I really just lose to the Marlins? I've got like a hundred million dollar payroll here, and they're not even trying. (laughs) He's like, he's like, he's like, like, I got more money than God here, and I lost. My team just lost. He was blowing his stack. Or whenever, whenever um, Burkett got that last out. Unreal. I can't believe still though, like, like the Marlins won more World Series, and they're like, when they became a franchise in 93. Mm-hmm. Ten years into the thing, they'd won two World Series. And at that point, the Cubs hadn't won one in like 95 years. It sort of made yeah. me sad and mad. But it's what's still crazy to me, man, is like that the Yankees won World Series titles in 96, 98, 99, and 2000. Now, what's mm-hmm. even crazier about that, and I just found this out like a couple weeks ago, the year before Don Mattingly was called up to the Yankees, they won the mm-hmm. World Series, right? Then the yeah. whole tenure of Don Mattingly's career with the Yankees, they don't win a World Series. 
the year exactly, after yeah. he retires, <clears throat> they win a World <clears throat> Series. And it's like Don Mattingly was great. And even when he played in the postseason, which I think was only in 95, he had good uh-huh. stats. So he wasn't like a choke artist. Like, he was a good hitter. But it's so sad that, you know, Donnie Baseball, the captain, he was the captain of the Yankees at the time. They won the World Series the year before he got there and the year after he left. Like, yeah, he was drafted in 79. Yeah, he was drafted in 79, and he retired in 95. And he just he missed World Series championships both sides. Jeez, that's such a crazy thing, man. And the Hall of Fame talk around Don Mattingly is very interesting because his stats are, you know, sort of Sandy Koufax-esque because he has a small window where he was really good. I mean, you've got a guy that was winning batting titles, and I think he won a home run crown once too, like hit like 40 home runs in a season or something like that. But you get a guy that's one of the all-time greats, especially like, you know, you know that we watch like sort of like in our generation where you're like, yeah, Don Mattingly was really good, but he'll never get in the Hall of Fame, but – the Hall of Fame to me is really weird now because there's the whole, like, did he take steroids or didn't he take steroids? It sort of just feels like a fiasco, you know, being a fan. Like, obviously, the Hall of Fame is a big deal. It seems like it feels like that the, anybody who who made it big in the 90s is going to have a big cloud over their heads when it comes to Hall of Fame selection. It's weird, man. Like, it's I find Sammy Sosa to be one of the most interesting cases because the only evidence that they have of him taking steroids is, one, he was hitting home runs at a Mark McGuire-esque pace, and McGuire was on steroids. And then, two, he showed up on, like, that unsealed court document of mm-hmm. failed drug tests during, like, hey, if 20% of people fail a test, we're going to implement it. And what's interesting about that list is, yeah, Sammy Sosa's name's on it, but so is David Ortiz and Pedro Martinez and, like, Robbie Olimar, Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor. Like, there are big names on that list. I think Pudge Rodriguez is on it. Alex Rodriguez was on it. Like, it's wild. But it's like David Ortiz will probably get in the Hall of Fame, but Sammy Sosa probably won't because he's the one that helped break a record. So it's like— you know, which, which player got busted lying in front of Congress? Was it— was it, oh, was it, was it Roger was, Clemens? No, it was Raphael Palmero. He got in front of Congress and was like, he pointed his finger at him, Lance Armstrong style, and it's like, I never took steroids. And then within the year, he failed a steroid test. I think he failed uh-huh. two steroid tests because I think he failed one where he got like a 10-game suspension because that's what the penalty was because they had just enforced all of this mm-hmm. stuff. Then I think he may have failed a second one, but that may have been A-Rod that failed too because I know he failed too. But yeah, Paul Mero got popped quick, and he swears to this day that it was false, but it doesn't seem like it could be. Well, that's like a la Ryan Braun. He he got busted once for steroids, and he blamed it on the – he blamed on the, on the, the tech who, who – yeah. Because oh, this guy has a personal beef with me, so somehow he got it revoked, and then he got the he failed another one, and he failed another one. And he's like, oh, I feel like I failed the fans. Like, no, yeah, he's, he's got caught. Ryan got Braun caught. is my least favorite baseball player. Like Ryan Braun and Aaron Rodgers are my two least favorite pro athletes. I just don't like them. I uh, the first one of the first games I took my daughter to it was a Pirates. Brewers game, and every time 
Ryan Braun was up to bat. The entire Paul Park booed him. <laughs> I bet, man. He is not a well liked dude, especially when I think I, about I, stuff like that. Ugh. And I think, and I think I started it. I think yes. You like there were so and so Ryan Braun. I'm like boo, and then the, the whole stadium just started booing him. Dude, lead Every, the charge, he, man. He had, he had like four bets, and he we booed him every single time. Went home. I was talking to my dad on the, on the, talking to my dad about the game. Uh-huh. He's like, "Yeah, I was watching that game uh, on TV." And <laughs> Steve Blass says, "Is it is it everywhere?" And when he goes to an away game, that uh, Ryan Braun gets booed. He gets up the bat. He's like. I was like, yeah, I think I started that the entire game. <laughs> Ryan Braun went home and cried because of you, man. I'm sure he did. Unbelievable. But listen, it's I'm, I don't dislike him because he took steroids, just because he lied about it and he was a dick. Like one yeah. of the, one of my like Wally Joyner admitted to trying steroids once, but Wally's such a nice guy and Wally seems like a nice name. I don't even care. Like it, it would faze me no bit because I think he's just a sweet dude who just tried it because everyone was doing it. But like when uh-huh. you lie about it, and you're sort of like cocky. Like last season, or maybe it was like yeah, it was last season. Remember when all the major league baseball players and the owners couldn't agree on salary? Blake Snell mm-hmm. got on TV and it's like I don't care what anyone thinks. So I got to get my money. And like that sort of rubbed me the wrong way. And I don't know like. If that's because I'm just like uneducated and I'm not like thinking about it like in real terms of he's got every right to negotiate his salary than I that I do. But like Mm -hmm. in the middle of a pandemic, when people were losing jobs, he's like, I'm not going to play for anything other than my full three million dollars. It was just sort of like. Oh, yeah, because they're complaining. Like, who cares? Because the owners were the owners were prorating the season because. They were always gonna. They were always gonna. They were always gonna pay them for what they played. Yeah, and I thought that and was he, so stupid he, because I'm like, so you want to get money and don't want to work? Like, I don't care what your contract says. Like, this is a pretty extenuating circumstance. So, like, yeah. why don't you just get paid for what you work? And you got. You have to look at it, that. That all those teams got got a massive hit as far as revenue when it came. It comes from ticket sales yeah. or. or or vendors or merchandise, they oh, all took big a hit. time. I mean, there were people that probably worked at concessions that just didn't have a job and were standing yeah. in line for hours on a Tuesday in the unemployment line trying to get money so they could buy their kid diapers. And you're over here telling me that you got to get a full three point seven million to play? Like, dude, like stick it up your butt, man. Like, I don't. If, they, if, if an owner, if 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 they if if the Pirates offer me a contract, I would say league minimum. DH, I can just sit there in the bench, smoke a stogie, and slug some scotch. Yes, That'd dude. Be it. <laughs> if I could go back in time, I would be one of those like Herb Winningham, like just designated runner dudes. Like I would just mm-hmm. get really fast and then give me the league minimum, sign me at playoff time, and just let me run the bases. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, I would come want, out I making a hundred thousand dollars. I just want, I just want the uniform. I just want to sit there. Just, just, just. Suck this, just soak it in. That's the thing because, <laughs> yeah, because you could get like a hundred thousand dollars, but you would also get home and away jerseys, like MLB issued jerseys. You know they're gonna give yeah. you bats and helmets. They might give you a starter jacket. Like everything's gonna be good, and then you can leave and then just go back to your normal job. Yeah, I mean, I think the league minimum is like 
two fifty, I Dude, think it I is. I think it's five hundred thousand right now. Five hundred thousand? Yeah. I'd be happy with that. Give me half a million. Uncle Sam will take out the taxes <laughs> and I would live off the interest. Dude, it'd be so good, yeah. man. Now I'll just be sitting there smoking a stogie, drinking some scotch. Messina, you're up. All right. Let me get up. Dude, <sighs> you know Charlie Huff? Oh, what's she saying? No, she was just. How you gonna get all that kind of moolah? Ah, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, what I was gonna say is Charlie Huff, after every game, would get on an exercise bike with whiskey mm -hmm. and a cigarette. So, and he had a pretty good career. So, I think it would be a pretty, pretty good way to go. But listen, Charlie, man, going go, go back to movies. Yes. The Natural with Robert Redford. That's a good baseball movie, too. I've watched part of that, but haven't finished it. That's the one where he's got the bat in the case, right? Yes. Yeah, dude. I've watched part of that, but I've never watched it all in one sitting. So that's sort of one of the ones that's on my list that I'm sort of lacking. Like, you know, I only watched Bull Durham for the first time like mm -hmm. two years ago. Like, I had never even seen the movie. And that was one of the ones where I would tell people I hadn't watched it, and they looked at me like I had a third eye. They were like, are you dumb? And I'd be like, no, I've never watched Bull Durham. And I like that movie, man. It's gritty, though, dude. It's, like, gritty and trashy, and I really like mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Like, they're just on the road as minor league baseball players. Like, that's what – I wish I would have continued to play baseball, and if I didn't become a speed guy in the dugout – I just would have mm -hmm. became like a minor league baseball player and grinded it out for like 20 years in the minors, you know, just eat hot dog gas, gas station, hot dogs for, you know, my life and just really <laughs> grinded it out as a minor league player and just rode buses and <laughs> ate far, gas station hot dogs. Went, the farthest I went was little league and I played for Tilly's restaurant. Dude, I love little league teams that are named after the sponsor because there are so many yeah. kids these days that like they get real uniforms and they're the Cardinals or the Expos. And I'm yeah. like, dude, I was the Elks because the Elks Lodge sponsored us. And I love that. Oh my God, you were the Elks. Hell when yeah, I was, we were. When I, when, I, when I played for Tilly's and I was, when I played for Tilly's restaurant, Tilly's our, restaurant. Our, 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 it was, it's an Italian, it was an Italian restaurant yeah. in, where I live in McKeesport. At Tilly's restaurant, we were like, you know, a fairly decent team. Yeah. Our rivals were the Elks. Yeah. Hey, what color were their jerseys? Blue and gold. Oh, ours were bright orange, like the Astros. Like just a really bright orange. Dude, Tilly's uh -huh. and the Elks, man. I bet you guys had some good games, dude. Our rival, when we were the Elks, you know what? I don't remember who our rivals were with the Elks. But now I remember that when I was in – so when I was with the Elks, that was when I was in Bronco League. But when I was in Mustang mm -hmm. League, I was on the Marion batting cages. And our rivals was Bruce Electric. And But then when I played for the Elks, our rivals may have been Pepsi because there was a local Pepsi plant. So uh -huh. it, it may have been Pepsi. Then they so when have, I was... Oh, no, McDonald's. Nope. There was a local McDonald's that had it because they wore white jerseys, oddly enough. McDonald's. Jeez. Yeah. That was it, man. But yeah, dude, I love Tilly's Restaurant, man, dude. That's it was, awesome. It was, and it's it's still around, you know. Yes. I and I on our Wonder One page, they were celebrating their their fiftieth anniversary, and they wanted oh, yeah. they wanted they wanted to um people to sign on their Facebook and tell them about their greatest memories of Tilly's. And I says, heck, for my my two years of Cannonball League, 
I played for Tilly's Restaurant when they still sponsored a team. Heck yeah, dude. And I, I love it. It was back when it was for, for our league. It was Tilly's Restaurant. It was, like I said, it was named after a sponsor. It was Tilly's Restaurant, Triple Play, which was like the batting cages. Yeah. Briner Automotive. <laughs> and Denny D's, which was sort of like a lounge bar type oh, thing. Oh, Denny you know, D's sounds like a really good place to go where you could drink some hams and get it for cheap. <laughs> Denny Denny D's was like the quintessential 1980s bar slash lounge. Wood paneled walls, hell yes. Wood paneled, red light, and, you know, the red light looked like a mafia hangout. Yes, dude, just just drinking booze under a neon moon, man. God, I love yes. it. Dang, dude, I literally days were the best, man. I remember getting the stirrups, dude, and putting the stirrups on, man. Like, I loved it, dude. They don't wear stirrups anymore, but I just signed up for like a baseball league. And we've got a tournament this fall, and mm-hmm. I've already ordered my stirrups. Like, they're on the way. So I'm going strictly old school on them. But I had to get, <laughs> like, these 80s vintage stirrups because companies don't make them anymore. So I got them on eBay. They're probably going to smell like camel cigarettes and mothballs, but I don't really care. I'm excited for them. You get, to get, to get to get them as Uno cleats. Dude, if I could find them, man, I've got a pair of New Balance cleats right now that I wear that are pretty comfortable. Uh-huh. But I found a legit old school Mizuno glove that I really uh-huh. want. And it's like, looks like it hasn't been unused. And it's got the old school Mizuno logo on it. Looks like Mike Norris wore it in 1981. But the glove is $250. And I'm like, yikes, I don't know if I have $250 for a, yeah, a baseball my, league my, that I'm my, probably going to suck in. Don't forget the Russell Athletic wristbands dude i need some wristbands man i found some uh old school mizuno ones on ebay right now that are in my cart uh, uh-huh. but i'm gonna have to find some russell athletic ones man that'll be good but listen man we're at the hour 50 mark dude i think we'll close this out man all right yeah dude eric man thanks for being on the podcast dude this was a blast. It was, it was, we'll have to do this again a- dude definitely it was it was my it was it was it was awesome it was a pleasure it was my pleasure i really appreciate coming on dude it means a lot man because like i'm glad to have met you because you know both of us being fathers and having young daughters it's uh it's really fun man to talk about this stuff so thank you for being Mm -hmm. on oh you're welcome well maddie it was great to have you on the podcast as well we'll record again and then you can tell us some more baseball stories about running the bases and stuff so your dad said you guys are going to a father's day baseball game so if i don't talk to you before then have fun okay all right well i will um all right eric well thanks for being on man don't hang up because i'm just gonna hit pause and uh, but thanks for being on the podcast man i appreciate it oh thank you thank you very much right on later dude see you next time thank you too